0: This is Dr. Marty Freed,
1: Dr. Shreya Trivedi, and Dr. Amy Tang.
0: This is the Core I Am Five Pearls podcast brought to you by Clinical Correlations,
1: bringing you high-yield, evidence-based pearls. Today,
2: we're going over part two of chronic hepatitis B on further workup and management.
0: All right, let's get started with the five questions on the pearls we'll be covering. Test yourself by pausing after each of the five questions.
2: Remember, the more you test yourself, the deeper your learning gains.
0: Pearl 1. Initial evaluation of chronic HEP B infection.
2: What makes up a focused history, physical, and lab workup in evaluating a patient with chronic HEP B? Pearl
0: 2. Imaging workup.
2: What is the best imaging to evaluate for intermediate stages of liver fibrosis? And what are some screening tools you can use to estimate fibrosis if you don't have imaging available to you? What are the limitations of these screening tools?
0: Pearl 3. Treatment for chronic hep B.
2: What factors do you use to assess which patients warrant treatment?
0: Pearl 4. Treatment options.
2: What drugs are available for hepatitis B treatment, and how do you choose?
0: Pearl 5. Screening for hepatocellular carcinoma.
2: What chronic hep B patients should be screened for hepatocellular carcinoma And how often should the screening occur?
0: To recap, we have a 53-year-old man who immigrated from China about a decade ago, who we appropriately screened and found to have hep B surface antigen positive, core antibody positive, but surface antibody negative. We will call him back for a second visit. All right, Amy, how do you proceed from here?
1: So this evaluation is focused on determining if there are sequelae of infection or risk factors for advanced disease. I focus my questions on comorbidities that might complicate the disease course like alcohol use and diet because fatty liver is so common and may contribute to fibrosis. It's also important to ask about a family history of liver cancer because particularly virulent strains can be transmitted vertically. Ooh, so we can't just knee-jerk write family history is non-contributory?
0: Oh man, every once in a while a family history does matter. (laughs)
1: In fact, many patients often confuse this family history of liver cancer as an inherited condition rather than an infectious one.
0: Yeesh. Then I would imagine the physical exam, I guess, includes attention to sigmata of cirrhosis, right? So gynecomastia, spider angiomas, etc.
1: Exactly. And then on the labs. So all the labs I send fall into one of three categories. Markers of cirrhosis, hepi, disease activity, and relevant co-infections. So in terms of evaluating for liver
2: cirrhosis, I'm guessing we're sending a CBC for that platelet count, a basic metabolic panel for renal function, transaminases, bilirubin, and then an INR
0: albumin
1: to complete the liver synthetic workup, right? Excellent. Now, Marty, what are you sending for hep B disease activity and co-infection workup?
0: Okay, so at this point, we only have surface antigen and core antibody positivity. We need to determine his e-antigen status, so I would send both the e-antigen and e-antibody, along with a hep B DNA level. As we mentioned in screening, I also want to know his HIV and hepatitis C virus status prior to initiating therapy. Anything else? I guess maybe a hep A antibody to see if they need to be vaccinated?
1: Yes, because a hep A insult on top of a chronic hep B infection would be awful. The last thing I sometimes add is a serum alpha fetoprotein protein as part of liver cancer screening. Unfortunately, I've seen patients similar to our gentleman diagnosed with liver cancer at the initial hep B evaluation. Now, let's move on to imaging.
2: I would imagine everyone gets a right upper quadrant ultrasound to evaluate for cirrhosis.
1: Amy, what else should we be thinking about for initial imaging? So imaging has two purposes here. First, staging of fibrosis as well as initial liver cancer screening. Unfortunately, ultrasound alone doesn't have the resolution we need to evaluate intermediate stages of fibrosis, which is common in someone like this, who's probably been living with Hep B for his entire life. Yeah, I saw the newest addition to the
2: AASLD guidelines, and there's a bigger focus on fibrosis assessment to determine
1: treatment. So, are you saying he needs a liver biopsy? While liver biopsy has been considered the gold standard... It's prone to sampling errors, not to mention potential bleeding complications for the patient.
0: There are a few newer, non-invasive techniques worth mentioning.
1: There are proprietary serum tests, one is called FibroSure, that can be expensive. Alternatively, there are a few scoring tools used to estimate fibrosis called the APRI or FIV4 scores that use AST to platelet ratios.
0: So both the FIB4 and the APRI scores are available on mdcalc.com and the QX Calculate app that I use on my phone.
1: Good to know.
2: But from my reading, it looks like the APRI and the FIB4 scores are going to be normal
1: in most patients and only abnormal with advanced cirrhosis. That's why some of the imaging modalities for fibrosis assessment can be more helpful for the intermediate stuff. The best studied is called transient elastography, the brand name is FibroScan, which is recommended by the AASLD. This is relatively new and sometimes it's tricky to locate a machine, but most major medical centers have one nowadays. It basically uses ultrasound to determine the stiffness of the liver and converts its measurements into the Metavir scoring system, which is the same system used for liver biopsies.
0: So the the Metavir scoring, that's the 0 to 4 scale, right? F0 is a normal liver and F4 being cirrhosis?
1: Exactly. And everything between is a gradient. So scores like F2 and F3 will likely change management. And a cool thing about the FibroScan is that it gives a measure of steatosis in addition to fibrosis, which can help to distinguish between fatty liver-induced changes from hep-B induced.
0: That sounds awesome. Amy, I can imagine... A person practicing where either FibroScan isn't available yet or the patient potentially can't afford the proprietary scan, what do you do to evaluate fibrosis in those settings?
1: So in those settings, we're back to our lab scoring systems like Fib4 and Apri. Remember their limitations that we only might be catching cirrhosis. Hmm. Interesting. So... Let's recap. At this stage of the game, we've diagnosed
2: chronic hep B infection, taken a focused P to assess for sequelae of disease like cirrhosis. We evaluated for family history of hepatocellular carcinoma, sent off some initial workup to evaluate for liver disease, characterized the disease activity, looked for
1: co-infections. Sounds like we're on to the treatment phase, guys. Yes. One thing to keep in mind is that One out of four people with hep B will experience liver complications like liver cancer or cirrhosis if they go unmonitored and untreated. Conversely, three-fourths will remain relatively fine. The next stage is figuring out who makes up the 25% at risk for complications because that is the population we want to treat.
0: Okay. Okay. Back to our case. Labs come back and, from our second visit and reveal he is heppy e antigen negative with a viral load of 3,500 and ALT of 65.
1: Great. So a few thoughts. First, at his age of 53, we expect this person to be heppy antigen negative.
0: Because the vast majority of those infected by vertical transmission will seroconvert by age 30, as we mentioned before.
2: I was struck by the relatively high viral load with his e antigen negative status. Normally, e antigen negative should have a low viral load. I mean, having lost the e antigen should mean that they're in a non-replicative state, right?
1: Is this one of those core mutations? Exactly, and these mutations have been linked with higher rates of liver cancer.
0: Can we talk about interpreting the ALT for a minute? I was surprised to learn that our labs was lying to us about the upper limit of normal. Shreya, where you work. What does your lab have as the upper limit of normal?
1: Hmm,
2: 50 or so?
0: That's what I thought. Guilty, guilty, guilty. The AASLD defines the ALT, upper limit of normal for men, as 30. And for women, it's 19. That means that two times the upper limit of normal, which are important thresholds of treatment, are 60 for men and 38 for women. So our patient has seroconverted with an elevated ALT of 65 which is above two times the upper limit of normal.
1: Yes, and he technically meets criteria to treat, but we might not need to commit this guy to treatment just yet. I would discuss lifestyle modifications, abstaining from alcohol, and recheck ALT in three to six months to see if diet and lifestyle are contributing. True. From a population level, fatty liver is way more common than hep B. So if his transaminases decline, then we're happy. And if they remain elevated at three to six months with the viral load above 2,000, then he probably needs treatment. Hmm, makes sense. Okay,
2: but what if his ALT was below two times the upper limit of normal? Then he doesn't need treatment?
1: Well, not necessarily. He might. So here is where the fibrosis assessment comes into play. Normal F0 to F1 doesn't need treatment. F4 or cirrhosis always needs treatment. Um, depending where you fall in the middle, F2 or F3, may need treatment in addition to other considerations like family history of liver cancer or if someone is greater than 40 years of age.
0: Yeah, these details can kind of get murky. So we will upload on the Clinical Correlations website an amazing one-pager of chronic hep B management that Amy has developed and it walks you through all of these iterations.
2: So what I'm going to take away is that there are four variables to determine treatment. E-antigen status is first, followed by the viral load, ALT, and fibrosis. And just for clarifications, patients with cirrhosis get treated always, right?
1: That's right. So a simplified way to think about it is that all cirrhotics get treated regardless of viral load or ALT. If you have antigen positive, meaning your virus is actively replicating, your viral load is usually very elevated. In these situations, I just look at ALT, and greater than 2 times the upper limit of normal gets treatment regardless of fibrosis. If you've seroconverted, so now antigen is negative, then I look at both viral load and ALT. So a viral load greater than 2,000 and sustained ALT greater than 2 times the upper limit of normal is a ticket to treatment regardless of fibrosis.
0: So the last things we should discuss are the medications themselves and liver cancer screening. This patient we're starting treatment because he has persistently elevated viral load greater than 2000 and ALT greater than 60. So now the question is, what medications should we start?
1: At this point, there are three first-line nucleoside or nucleotide analogs, which are excellent and have little to no risk for resistance and tecavir in two versions of tenofovir, TDF, which has the trade name of viriad, and TAF, the trade name is Vemlidy. The new form, TAF, is a prodrug and more specific to hepatocytes, so it theoretically has less side effects.
0: So how do you choose between these, Amy?
1: Three things I think about are renal function, bone health, and pregnancy. TDF, the old tenofovir, has been linked with rare acute renal failure, from Fanconi syndrome and osteomalacia in patients with baseline-impaired renal function or risk for osteoporosis, so I will usually opt for Intekivir or TAF, the new in these settings. However, TDF is pregnancy category B and the only option suitable for pregnant women um, or women of childbearing age.
2: Yeah, and I've also heard TDF is a bit more convenient because it can be taken without regard to food, right?
0: Speaking from personal experience, having to think about when to take a pill relative to eating might be a deal breaker.
1: It's true, and adherence is so important. It can mean the difference between suppressed viral load and not. Also, consider that intecavir is generic and TDF is due to be generic literally any day now. The important thing is that the most recent ASLD guidelines note that there's no significant difference in efficacy between Tenofovir and Entekavir. so. Either option is good.
0: Okay, so let's say our patient was worried about the renal side effects of tenofovir, so we started him on entecavir. When do you have him back, Amy?
1: I follow viral load and ALT in 3 and 6 months after starting treatment to make sure he's responding. I would expect that after 6 months, the viral load should have significantly decreased, and after 1 year, he should have undetectable viral load. If not, we have to reassess adherence or potentially resistance. In most cases, after they've reached an undetectable viral load, I follow ALT and viral load about every six months. Hmm.
2: And what if the patient had been e-antigen positive at the start of treatment?
1: Does the follow-up look different for you? So the timing isn't different. The main difference with antigen positive patients is that we also follow e-antigen and antibody. We follow this because once they seroconvert from antigen positive to negative, we'll continue to treat for at least another year, and then we can consider stopping. Because the desired treatment endpoint of hep B surface antigen loss is so rare, we consider stopping for these folks who don't want to be on lifelong treatment. We continue to monitor off treatment to make sure their viral load doesn't creep above 2000 because that may indicate a mutation and necessitate lifelong therapy. Oh, but that doesn't apply to our patient who
2: is already e-antigen negative and should be on treatment until he loses his surface
1: antigen. Correct, which is rare with these meds, unfortunately. Hmm. So I think the last
2: thing we should discuss is hepatocellular screening.
1: Yes, very important. The screening guidelines are based on a couple risk factors, including ethnicity and the sex of the patient. For reasons that aren't clear, African patients have a higher risk of HCC, and so we start screening at the time of diagnosis. Asian men are also at higher risk for developing HCC, so we start at age 40, and Asian women we start at age 50. Uh, We also screen everyone with a personal history of cirrhosis or family history of liver cancer.
0: Um, Amy, forgive the question, but what about us white dudes? How often do we get screened (laughs) if we have chronic hep B?
1: Well, unless the person is cirrhosis or a family history of liver cancer, there's insufficient data to support routine liver cancer screening for other ethnicities.
0: Okay, so how do you screen and how frequently do you screen?
1: We screen with an abdominal ultrasound, plus or minus a serum AFP every six months. So AFP, or alpha-fetoprotein, is not a good test alone. But one study in China demonstrated that AFP with ultrasound was better than ultrasound alone, so that's why we include it for certain folks.
2: Hmm. And then is there any role for a more advanced imaging like a triple-phase
1: CT or an MRI? I reach for these when the ultrasound comes back with a concerning lesion. In these settings, MRI is usually the best step, though triple-phase CT is also okay. So the takeaway is to do liver
2: cancer screening with an ultrasound plus minus an AFP every six months in a hep B patient. If they are, one, African, and this is at at the age of diagnosis, no matter what age they are, two, Asian men greater than 40 years old, and lastly, Asian women greater than 50 years old. Also, for anyone with cirrhosis or a family history of hepatocellular carcinoma, gets Q6-month ultrasounds.
0: Nice! Amy, thank you so much for visiting today. Let's review the key points in our pearls to close out. Pearl 1. The initial evaluation and workup of a patient with chronic hepatitis B has two overall purposes. First, you want to evaluate sequelae of chronic infection, like cirrhosis or liver cancer, with lab and imaging modalities. Second, you want to assess viral activity with e-antigen and antibody, viral load, and ALT. Regardless of whether or not these patients need to be treated, you should monitor these labs at least every six months, because even inactive hep B with low viral load and normal ALT can suddenly mutate, reactivate, and cause problems.
2: Pearl 2 the APRI and FIB4 scores are screening tools, but they are limited in that they will only be abnormal in advanced cirrhosis. Transient elastography, also known as FibroScan, uses ultrasound to estimate the stiffness of the liver and the degree of fibrosis, particularly in the intermediate stages.
0: Pearl 3. Determining who to treat involves consideration of four things, e-antigen status, viral load, ALT, and degree of fibrosis. Check out our show notes for a simplified version of the AASLD guidelines on who gets treatment.
2: Pearl 4. There are 3 medications that we use to treat chronic hepatitis B, Entecavir and the two tenofavirs, TDF and the new TAF. TDF does have some risk of kidney damage and osteopenia, though that risk is mitigated with the new agent TAF.
0: Pearl 5. HCC screening starts at the time of diagnosis for African patients, age 40 for Asian men, and age 50 for Asian women not to mention for all patients with cirrhosis or a family history of liver cancer. Generally, we screen with ultrasound every six months with or without AFP. All right, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, please email us at coreimpodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at at coreimpodcast. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at coreimpodcast.
2: Opinions expressed in this podcast are our own and do not represent the opinions of NYU or other affiliated institutions. Do not use this podcast for medical advice. Instead, see your own healthcare provider for medical care. All right. Thanks for joining us.
0: See you guys next Wednesday.
2: Take care.